All right, back in Ashburn, uh, that is Sam Fortier with me here on the Hoffman Show, which of course is not only on the Team 980, but streaming live on the free Odyssey app and on YouTube at the Team 980. Uh, nice little hour press conference today, huh? Dude, they, they get longer. Uh, I'm cool with that. More insight, I, more I chances to talk about ball, talk about this team and the franchise and where it's going. It's uh, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I thought you had uh, two really good ones, uh, and, and obviously one of them was basically why Cliff Kingsbury. We played that answer uh, sooner, and uh, you actually got to spend some time with Cliff. Was it 2017? Uh, did a piece for the Ringer um, where you went down to Texas Tech, and, and at that point he's down there. Obviously, then it goes to Arizona. Now he's here. Um, what like so? I, I will ask you the same question or a version of it that you asked. Uh, Dan Quinn, which is like, why Cliff Kingsbury? Why, why do you think that he gets this shot when I think a lot of people look at him as, you know, why? Like, there's this question, like, why does he keep getting jobs? Um, you spent time with the guy. Why do you think he keeps getting jobs? Yeah, let me first start by giving a little background here, which is that I was working for the Ringer. I did a story about college football team chaplains. It was when Dabo was like baptizing dudes. Uh, and I was just like, huh, this is interesting. Like, how does how does this work? And it happened to be Bobby Dagnall, the guy at Texas Tech. Uh, shout out to Bobby. Great guy. He's the guy that I kind of spent the most time with to kind of understand that process. And while I was in the building, and I got to say, like, you know, Texas Tech gave me full run of the place, which was great. Uh Young I, 48, just running around. I, yeah, I was like 21, uh, and I was just <laughs> running around. And uh, I just realized, like, you know, I spent a lot of time around Cliff, Cliff's people. And, you know, we'd be in – I'd be in the team meeting room, and he'd be in and out in like six to eight minutes. Like, he'd come in. It'd be three plays. Guys, this was great. This is what you want to do more of. Three plays. Guys, don't do this. This is – you know, we are not in spring ball. Like, you, you need to get better. And I was like, dang, like, this guy is super efficient. Um, and I heard all the time, hey, Cliff gets the building early. He's the first one in, he's the last one out. And I was like, okay, yeah, I've heard that a million times. You know, like, And they said he got there at 4 a.m. And I was in a hotel probably like half a mile away. So I was like, you know what? I was like, one day I just got up at like 3.45. And I was like, I'm going to be there at 4. And I'm going to see if this dude really gets there. And I'm sitting on the steps outside the Texas Tech football facility in Lubbock. And at 4.06 a.m., White Escalade pulls in, head beams on. And uh, he was the only one there. He came up to me. He's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I was like, everybody said you would be here at this time. I, I'm a reporter. So this is, I had to go check. This is a good lesson, right? <laughs> uh, this I'm going to bring the alma mater into this. But they teach us in journalism school that if your mom says she loves you, you better double check. And I think Sam Fortier showing up at 4 a.m. to the Texas Tech football facility is as close to living that mantra as has ever been done, at least in the sports world, as opposed to hard news where, like, you actually have to check real facts for real reasons. Yeah, and so, I mean, I was just, like, kind of curious. And so he was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm here to check on you. And he, so we went into the building, and he went uh, into the gym, and, and we were sitting there, and he was like, do you want a cup of coffee? And I was like, no, I'm not really a coffee guy. He's like, you're up at 4. You don't want a cup of coffee? I was like, no. And he was like tiger's blood <laughs> and i was like i have never heard that maybe that's a texas thing i don't know but that that line has always stuck with me and so you know over the next week you know i spent some time with cliff and, and he's a hard worker man like he gets there for you know i don't know if he's the last one out because i i think i was too tired to stay for the for the end of that yeah. day but uh you show up before i don't think you have to be i think you should be done if not i have questions <laughs> about your work efficiency and um you know cliff really believe or at least in 2017 he could have changed in the last seven years but in 2017, he believed the Malcolm Gladwell thing about like 10,000 hours and you'll be a master. I think like I have some qualms with that saying, but he really, he, he did the math. He like showed me this spreadsheet where he was like, when he became a head coach at Texas Tech, if he watched three hours of film every day, 
he would get to 10,000 hours in like 10 years. And he was like kind of frustrated that it would take that long. But like, this is a dude who I got there right before, I think it was at the start of year five, the year he got fired. And he had taken um, some, uh, he had taken like a study or he had taken the exit interviews with his players. And, and they all said like, hey, like you focus way too much on offense. We don't think that you care about us. You're the head coach. Like you gotta, you know, mm. you gotta like show us that you care more. And so his like big thing was celebrating the defense, spending more time with defensive players. Um, and I think that that was like his big thing before that year. And I think whether or not he succeeded at Texas Tech, like you can debate why or whatnot. But the same thing in Arizona, I think this is a guy who designs offenses and is smart. Yes. And like when I was in his office and like, you know, I would see the play diagrams, like the dude has, uh, you know, I think a, a mad scientist quality about him uh, in terms of, of getting, you know, offenses in the right place. I think in, in Arizona, until Kyler got hurt, they were. 16th 10th 11th things like that in scoring so if, if this guy if you allow this guy to just focus on offense even though i think there are some concerns that i have some questions i have about the air raid scheme does it help young passers especially you know with how much you're in gun and, and you know that kind of limits you i think there's a lot of things that we can talk about with that yeah. but if you're talking about does this guy know good quarterbacks does this guy put the work in can he get your offense to score points i think the track record suggests yes no, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that one of the things that I definitely want to dive into more um, over the next probably couple of weeks with Logan, and if you know you want to, when you're not uh, going back to write in five minutes, uh, want to hop on the pod with us and talk it out, like we definitely could do that too. But um, like the gun thing is definitely interesting to me. And I also wonder how much of that had to do with Kyler. Kyler is five foot nine, maybe. Like you just can't put that guy under center in the NFL guards are six, four. Like you can't, you can't see your first three steps of your drop back on a five step drop. So does he come here with whoever he winds up drafting and, and switch that up? He did use a fair amount of pistol in Arizona. That was kind of his solution. Like, does he actually want to be under center more? Um, and I do think the thing that's interesting too, that I really like, I read Mark Bullock's piece. I mentioned that in, in the previous segment, but Mark, I think did a good job of breaking down some of the stuff. I'm sure you started watching some old Arizona tape. Um, like the running stuff is, is good. Um, but I also like, I wonder about the evolution throughout a season, the reliance on tempo. Um, I, I wonder about all of that stuff. And, and I also do wonder, like, you know, obviously there's the Caleb connection and he's an RPO guy, but like a guy like Jaden Daniels actually didn't run a lot of RPO. How does he use the quarterback around? There's just, there's so much good. And I would say the, the last thing before I let you react to any part of that you find most interesting is <laughs> DQ today talked about explosive being like one of the words for him. And he talked about how important the receivers are in creating the matchups on the outside. To me, that is actually why he hired Cliff. Like to me, I was like, oh, I get it. Like you want a guy who's going to find matchups and push the ball down the field. Well, Cliff Kingsbury will do that. We can talk about all the running stuff and the gun and whatever. But like at the end of the day, that's who Cliff is at his core. And so in that way, it makes sense, even though Dan and Adam Peters have so much um, experience with the West Coast system, we all kind of thought they'd go in that Kyle Shanahan tree direction. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And to me, beyond the quarterback and who do you take and you know things that we'll spend the next three months talking about, how are you going to push down the field? Because if you look at who is under contract that played an offensive snap last year, there's only four of them. It's right. Terry, Jahan, Deami Brown, and Mitchell Tinsley, who played like three snaps. And so I think that the wide receiver position, particularly if Cliff is going to use four wide receiver sets like he did in Arizona, it declined every year, but it was like between 30% and 5%, which is a ton in the NFL. Um, you're going to need the guys on the outside. Obviously, you know, you have two guys you know you can rely on, but 
other than Terry and Jahan, I think this wide receiver room is, is kind of a big question. So that's obviously getting down the road. But yeah. when I think about this offensive development, what's it going to look like? Who are they going to have when you have the picks that you have and the cap space that you do and the free agent receiving class that's out there? I think that that's going to be a, a big question of mine as well as we go throughout this process. Yeah, and it feels very silly to think about signing a free agent, even though it's a good class, because there's like 11 billion receivers in this draft. It's insane. Like how many? I feel like it's like that every year. But like, is this year it's more than usual? Even more than? I mean, that's also I would say the nature of college football these days, though. It's like the seven on seven stuff. Exactly, and I mean, like Cliff Kingsbury being there, like a lot of teams run air raid. A lot of teams are in four receiver sets quite a bit. You know, even some five. Like it's it's. I think receivers. uh, There are a lot of good ones. There are just a lot of them in general as well. Um, last thing, Sam Fortier, Washington Post, with me out here in Ashburn. Uh, again, his his piece uh, will be up at some point soon-ish uh, from today on WashingtonPost.com. Hopefully, slash if, if, I, if I write fast. Okay, well, I'm, well, it'll be up sooner if I can get him off the radio in about three minutes, which is what I promised him. Um, the biggest, I would say, concern I have for Cliff is the lack of production late in seasons and that reliance on tempo and then defenses are like okay well now we know what coverages we need to play because you're not you're doing the same thing every week and we don't we're not scrambling to change because we just start in the right coverage capiche there goes the offense how confident are you that he can evolve and that that would have been my question i would have loved to ask dq today is kind of you talked about that 360 look around introspection did you have any similar conversation with cliff so from what you know of cliff and spending a little bit of time with him and what you've seen of him in the nfl how confident are you that he'll be able to make that turn so there, there's two components to this first i think like you said cliff has to do a uh, an introspection um, and also you know now that he's only coaching offense you have to assume that the things that he was designing in the offseason that he could like have that sandbox to just be in an offensive mindset you now have to hope that by not putting the head coaching stuff on his plate he will be able to continue to update that and do more throughout the season and two Dan Quinn told us that he's not going to call plays and so that will be I think one of Dan Quinn's biggest mm-hmm job responsibilities is making sure that stagnation does not happen for Cliff and making sure that he is tailoring the offense to the quarterback. One of the things I thought Dan pointed out that we did not see here on either side of the ball last year is the Micah Parsons example. Figuring out what does this guy do well and how can we maximize that. This is not a system-driven guy. This is a player-driven guy. How do we maximize them? And I think that's a breath of fresh air from you know the last two offensive coordinators that have been here and making sure that Cliff does that um, is going to be a huge component of, of Dan Quinn. Uh, I call it dude theory. Just get get dudes the ball. <laughs> who's the dude? I like it. Get him the ball. Uh, all right, last actual question uh, as someone who's out here every day. Is it always this cold in here? Yes. Oh. it's. I, I'm not out here, obviously, very often anymore because, um, well, I have to do a radio show at this time, and a lot of the press conferences were not convenient to that. And um, I'm very cold, and this show goes till 7. Welcome to the media annex, man. Oof. All right. Well, now I know for next time. Uh, Sam Fortier, he knows more than me. That's why he, he came in and, and shared. Uh, read his po- work at WashingtonPost.com slash sports. Uh, more of the Hoffman Show talking about Dan Quinn and his introduction today, everything that he said next on the Team 980.